Welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 40, headlined by a short-notice main event between Aspen Ladd and Norma Dumont, up at 145 pounds. Unfortunately, Holly Holm had to pull out of her fight and insteps Aspen Ladd. Perfect timing for her, especially after she missed weight last time, two weeks ago, at 135 pounds. Now she's being advised to go up to 145, and now this is a great opportunity for her to go out there and showcase just that. Now, Norma Dumont is obviously the one that was preparing for five rounds, so I'm interested to see how that factor plays into this fight, especially if this fight does get into those championship and main event rounds. Um, Very, you know skeptical and pessimistic about this card but it's fights nonetheless and it's more betting opportunities for ourselves so we need to be as uh, thankful as possible that the UFC is actually giving us fights every week so that we can actually go out there and wager not just that but the Tuesday night contender series as well which I believe has about four events left so I'm looking forward to those four events as well so let's just get right into the betting recap of this past uh, week uh, just to remind you guys I did have a play on the Dana White contender series this is the first play I had all season and I think the first legitimate official play I've had since like their first season because it's card be too much to actually make a play here but I needed to pull the trigger when I saw an Alaska FC guy in Patrick White we saw uh Gennaro Valdez go out there and make it a lot closer than it should have been and he was able to get that knockout in the second round where it was getting a little bit fishy but he catches one half of the parlay and then I had to go with my guy Mike Malott who I've known for a long time now going on 10 years now he competed on one of the shows that I actually worked for and um I'm glad that he was able to um, manage to get his UFC contract in such emphatic in such an emphatic fashion. So I had a unit and a half there at minus 131. That catches for plus 1.14 units. And we parlayed that into a winning event this past weekend at UFC as well. So I actually went one and two on bets, but we ended up on profit because the one that hit was the lock of the night play, baby. And we'll start off with Matthias Nicolau, four units at minus 196. That played out way closer than it should have been, in my opinion. He lost the first round, won the second round, won the third round as well. But uh, that second round had me a little bit skeptical. I know he won it, but it's just the judges that I just could never trust, which is why I thought it was going to be close in their eyes. Uh, but uh, Nicolau goes out there, wins the fight. Not a lock of the night type of uh, type of performance. A lock of the night type of performance is like what Mike Malott did. And even though that wasn't a lock of the night play, I want them to go out there and get the win without no sweat required. And I was sweating quite a lot, especially after that first round that Tim Elliott was able to produce against Nicolau. Luckily for us, Nicolau comes back and wins the next two rounds and takes home the decision of victory. My half-unit shots on two underdogs fell flat on their face, the first round of which Felipe Clarge, plus 215, somehow managed to get a judge to actually score the fight for him. Uh, but he did end up losing that fight. And then uh, Silvana gomez Juarez uh, had nothing on the ground for Lupito Godinez, who, you know, good on her for taking that approach, but I wasn't really expecting that. I think I thought she was going to go out there and just strike with Juarez, where I thought that Juarez truly had a bit of a chance to justify that plus, or, or showcase that that plus 228 was not a justifiable line, considering that I think she could have made it competitive if it was in the striking realm. But Godinez did work, and we ended up taking a loss there. The interesting thing is the last four UFC events, only two underdogs on every single car have won. And I'm still waiting for that to actually break. I know it's there's going to be a breaking point eventually. Could be this weekend. You know, I, I've predicted a couple underdogs to win. But for the last four UFC events, there's only been two underdogs on each car that have won. So we'll see how that trend continues. So all in all, plus 1.04 units on the night. That was a 21% ROI. Lock of the night play hits. And at the end of the day, that's the only play that I care about uh, truly because you know when you have a branding of MMA lock of the night that's what you want to do so uh good win 
two event winning streak now if you want to talk about the contender series so well i do have a contender series play as well here which you guys probably will already know the result of but i went with a boudet plus silva uh parlayed one and a half units as well for about minus 120 four or minus 128 minus 124 is the line that i got on that so hopefully that comes through sorry minus 128 is the line that i got on that so hopefully that comes through shout out to my patreon members as well we're close to that 400 number once again i know that number is going to skyrocket as soon as we start putting this winning streak together which i feel we're on the brink of right now just quickly looking over the last couple cards or the next couple cards that are coming up i see some prime lock of the night opportunities that should hopefully get us into the uh to uh, another winning streak and we can start getting close to that 10 11 streak that we used to have uh, a little bit earlier in the year uh but patreon best props and uh, best bets and props article is already out uh they already seen these breakdowns that you guys are watching um uh a great discord community as well where people are able to you know share their thoughts on everything mma related and other sports we have a ton of other guys uh, wagering on other sports and sharing their tips with us so it's a great discord community and a very positive as well everybody's super awesome there so i'm uh very thankful that they're providing the value that they are there and uh yeah that that's uh, also price picks tips i do drop an article over there on the patreon and lastly the dana white contender series i don't do anything for the public i only do a brief write-up on every single matchup for the patreon members so that's another perk that they get as well five bucks a month best bang for your buck you're going to get on the market i promise you that uh, and then lastly shout out to coolbet coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 that's the number two and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks and uh, it's a great website i've actually placed my locker that i play on it already multiple times i've done it uh they allow you to parlay props there's so many great things that you can do with coolbet and great analytical tools as well so you can see how your betting is doing what you're betting well on what you're not betting well on and all that type of stuff so coolbet is really taking it to another level in terms of betting websites so make sure you guys go check them out once again mmalotn2 is the promo promo code and they will match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks all right that's pretty much a wrap on the show uh early start time once again 4 p.m eastern on the on the fights uh prelims i should say so make sure you guys are ready to go for that on saturday uh friday ultimate weigh-in show i'm going to be doing with tajik bay i just wrapped up the propping you up show with john we had to do it early this week so if you guys haven't already checked it out that's already up make sure you guys go check that out to get more of a props perspective on these fights and then on saturday um I still got to figure out a time that I'm going to do the fight day live chat might be earlier than usual, but I'll try to figure it out because I have some plans that evening as well. But I'll let you guys know uh, on the ultimate Wayne show when the fight day live chat will be as well. All right, that's a wrap on the intro here and I will see you guys on the flip side. Hope you guys enjoy the breakdowns. Ariane Carnelosi against Estela Nunes. We got minus 155 on Carnelosi and plus 135 on Estela Nunes, the debuting Estela Nunes, who actually got signed to the UFC back in 2019. However, she popped for USADA and was unable to make her debut against Angela Hill, which I believe was scheduled for September of 2019 or November sometime in 2019 uh and she sits on the show for two years now making her debut so i'm very interested to see what kind of fighter we're going to be getting with nunez especially with her now off the sauce she got caught from multiple different types of steroids so i'd be very intrigued to see what kind of fighter we see this coming weekend based on what we've seen in her one championship run which is not too bad of a regional promotion if that's what you want to call one fc um not too bad of a, of a place to go out there and get some solid experience she did uh, get a title shot against Angela Lee if I'm not mistaken and Lee was able to dispatch of her via, uh, via submission but where Estela Nunes truly shines is her Muay Thai she is a multiple champ a multiple time world champion in Muay Thai uh, but uh, you know if things start to get rough in terms of grappling gear that's where she probably looks um, 
not the greatest. I think Carnalosi, though, with her style, she is a very much a, a, a bull. She likes to move forward. A berserker likes to, you know, I like to call her the female John Lineker, to be honest. I think she goes out there and just tries to knock her opponent's head into the third row. And I think she could possibly do that here against Estela Nunes, especially if we don't see the same Nunes that we've been seeing in one championship. Now, Nunes used to spend time over there at American Top Team, but it's been at least two years since she's actually been able to go out there as she spent the majority of this camp down there in her hometown of Brazil training at an obscure gym so i'm not entirely sure what kind of training she's getting over there uh carnalosi on the other hand i think she has a lot of good skills to at least exploit the muay thai game of estela nunez which is move forward keep uh nunez on her back foot and wing big shots I just have too much pause in terms of actually betting this fight just because of the the question marks that we have on Nunes. So I'd, I'd much prefer this fight as a sit back and watch and let's see if we can ex exploit on either of these women in, in future bouts, but mostly on the Nunes side because we got to see if she can actually go out there and implement her range Muay Thai striking, which is probably the best way to beat a girl like Ariane Carnalosi. Stay on the outside, pick her apart, and hopefully win a judge's decision. But you're going to be on your back foot the entire time. You know, Carnalosi is not going to relent. That's her style. She likes to move forward. She likes to throw big bombs. And I think she's going to do the exact same thing here. Bit of a toss-up fight for me, which would say, you know, you should go for the underdog if you think it's 50-50. But there's just too many question marks on her as well. So I am going to go with Carnalosi reluctantly here. I do think she wins this fight by decision. But this is not a fight that I would recommend putting much money on because... It's hard to have confidence on either side, especially considering the big, big question marks that we're getting with the UFC debut taunt. So, official prediction, going to be Ariane Carnalosi via decision. Brandon Davis versus Dana Batgrill. We got minus 170 for Batgrill and plus 150 to return on the returning Brandon Davis. Now, if you guys remember, Davis had a 2-5 run inside the UFC before getting the boot. However, he went up against very stiff competition and stylistically bad matchups for him. Enrique Barzola, 10 takedowns. Kyle Bakniak going for takedowns of his own. Zabit Magomed Sherpov, I don't even need to explain that one. Um, and, uh, you know... It's very difficult to get victories over those kind of guys. But luckily for him, Dana Bakarilla seems like the type of guy that he should be able to go out there and get a victory over. Uh, Braden Davis, very scrappy fighter, never been knocked out either. So I'd be very impressed if Dana Bakarilla could, uh, you know, parlay his last couple knockout victories into another knockout victory this weekend. So I do think that that uh, outcome for Bakarilla is going to be much more difficult than it was in his last two fights. I find it interesting that Bakarilla was a minus 130 favorite in his fight against Guido Canetti, who, you know, I'd take Brandon Davis in a fight against Guido Canetti. Um, he was only minus 130 favorite. And now here he's, you know, opened up a huge favorite, but now getting bet down to that minus 170 range. And I think that uh, that Davis presents too many, way more trouble than any anything that Guido Kennedy was going to be able to put together in that fight. Uh, I'm hoping Davis brought his wrestling singlet with him to Las Vegas because I think that's his best way to win this fight is trying to drag the fight to the ground and implement his jiu-jitsu, which I think is going to be much more than Dana Batgadio is going to be able to withstand this weekend. Um, we saw when grappling was used against Dana in the Haile Alatang fight, we saw Alatang have tremendous success and beat the brakes off of Dana Bakriel in that third round, leaving him bumped and bruised up uh, as soon as that final bell was rung. Uh, Davis, though, I do expect him to have better jujitsu than we saw from Haile Alatang, which leads me to believe that he could possibly open up a submission opportunity for himself. It doesn't look like the uh, the submission prop is available yet for Brendan Davis, but if it's anything above plus 800 in this spot, I would take a little bit of a poke on it. I think the striking is going to be competitive, right? I think that Brendan Davis has some decent striking of his own. Dana, his background is Muay Thai, so I think that he might be the more refined striker, but in terms of being in the MMA realm and, you know, even uh, 
adding takedowns to the end of combinations, I think Davis will have the edge in that aspect. So I do like Brandon Davis here. You know, I, I think that his initial run in the UFC was tumultuous due to the level of competition he was going up against. And now in Denabak Real, I think this is a perfect spot for him to go out there and and and, and spring the upset and, and mark his return. And I think, you know, in the four fight winning streak that he was able to put together after his UFC release, he's gained the confidence that he knows that he deserves to be on the big stage. And I don't think he'll ever cross... Uh crack the top 15 to be honest but i think he'll always be a very solid gatekeeper that guys are going to have difficulties getting past especially if they don't have a wrestling background which is more than likely the way that uh, brandon davis ends up losing his fights i'm not expecting any of that wrestling here from dana i know he's jackson wing trained but i do think he's going to struggle a lot in terms of trying to get brandon davis to the ground here um or sorry, uh, to, to implement a grappling-heavy approach because he is mainly just a striker. I think it's Davis who's going to be implementing a grappling-heavy approach and then uses jiu-jitsu to hopefully lock up a neck here. So uh, official prediction is Davis by decision. I think he grinds out uh, Batgaril and gets the better of some of the striking exchanges as well. Um, but like I said, if I get plus 800 or better on that submission prop for Davis, I got to take a little bit of a poke. So official prediction is going to be Brandon Davis bringing the upset in his UFC return via decision. Ludovic Klein versus Nate the Train Lanwer. We got minus 335 on Ludovic Klein and plus 275 is the return on Nate Lanwer. Now, uh, very easy to fight to break down here. You know that Nate Lanwer, very wild and, uh, you know, chaotic when he goes in inside the cage. Always wants to entertain the fans, even if that's at the expense of him getting knocked out like he has been twice in three UFC runs at this point in time. Uh, obviously, Herbert Burns was able to put him out, especially uh, Julian Rosa as well in his last time around where he got a little bit too overzealous and ate a knee and ended up going down and getting put out. Uh, Ludovic Klein is probably one of the heavier strikers that he's gone up against in his last three fights which leads me to believe that we'll probably get a very similar outcome as those two knockout losses that Landwehr has already uh, sustained in his UFC career. Uh, Klein, a little bit low output at times, but very precise with the strikes and is able to put together very good power that causes a ton of his, uh, a ton of problems for his opponent. And especially with the guy here when Nate Landwehr, whose durability seems to be going down the drain, this is not a good fight for him to go out there and, um, you know, I think that Lanwer is going to be in a ton of trouble in this fight. Now, just trying to make a case for Nate Lanwer, right? Optically speaking, his style is pretty good for the judges, right? He likes to move forward, likes to throw a lot of shots, and make it look like he's the one always pushing the pace. However, he leaves himself open so much. He doesn't do a good job in terms of cutting off the cage either. It seems more like he just follows his opponents, and I think he's going to follow himself into a counter, beautiful counter here from Ludovic Klein. Klein has been spending the last couple camps over there at Sanford MMA, which is obviously helping his uh, skill set out, but I think that they'll be able to come up with a very solid game plan here to draw uh, Lanwer right into a head kick, which will ultimately be the ending of the fight there. I like what we saw from Klein in his last fight against Trezano. However, I think a lot of people are low on him now because he came in as such a heavy favorite in that fight and ended up shitting the bed. However, with Mike Trezano and Landwehr, you're getting two completely different fighters. Trezano, very disciplined, used his range very well, and was corralling uh, Klein into certain situations that allowed him to be very effective with his combinations and his strikes and keeping him at range. Landwehr, like I said, he chases his opponents. He doesn't cut off the cage. He doesn't do any of that. And, you know, another positive for uh, Landwehr would be he has decent wrestling as well. So if Klein does want to look for opportune takedowns like he did against Trezano, they might be a little bit more difficult to gather than when he went up against a guy like Trezano. So um, there is always that path for Klein, but I think he's going to have to work harder for it than he did when he went up against Trezano. 
I do like Klein though. I do think he'll eventually find that knockout. I'm very confident that he'll be able to do so. And even if you think, you know, you don't want to pay that minus 335 on Klein straight up, his uh, KO prop at minus 105 is not too bad of a look either, as that's more than likely the way that he gets this fight done with. So I'm going to go Ludovic Klein. I'm, I'm actually going to go first round knockout. Lupita Godina is going up against Luana Carolina. And this is a short order spot. Sajar Yupengs flew into the Las Vegas on Tuesday. And unfortunately, she got caught with the COVID. And they were pulled out from that fight. And in steps Lupita Godinez, who just fought this past weekend and was able to pull off a very quick victory over Silvana Juarez Gomez. And she was pretty much ready to go. She didn't take any damage in that fight. And luckily enough, she was still in town and ready to go uh, to take this short notice opportunity up a weight class so she doesn't have to worry about cutting too much weight to make this 135 pound weight class um interesting enough that the line dropped at minus 285 i expected it to drop a lot higher to be honest but it seems like there is a little bit of money coming in on luana carolina uh you know now that it's down to minus 265 now this line only dropped like an hour ago it hasn't been that long at all uh the matchup was announced yesterday i waited for the odds to come out and i was just about ready to drop my podcast but i thought i'd wait for the line to come out for this matchup before i discussed it did the breakdown for it so i can include it in the full podcast as well uh kind of again you know i, I did bet against luan uh, lupita godinez last time around uh very s- small you know i only did a half unit because i thought the line was a little bit wide uh, and i was fully expecting godinez to go out there and just strike right that's pretty much what she's been doing for the majority of her fights but uh, she saw the opportunity to take this fight to the ground and took full advantage of it. And I feel as though she should see the same thing on tape here against a girl like Luana Carolina, who's going to be way bigger than her, obviously. But uh, if Lupita decides to, you know, take a striking heavy approach, then yeah, this line should be a lot closer than it should or than it is currently. Uh, but I do trust in the fact that Godinez will look to get this fight to the ground, so that reach advantage and that size advantage is just completely nullified. And then on the ground, she should go to complete work here against Luana Carolina. Now. Is she going to go out there and finish Carolina? Like just a, uh, as I predicted, Sajara Eubanks was going to. I'm not 100% sure because Eubanks is a legitimate black belt. Like she can do work from on top. Godinez, I'm not sure if she's going to be able to handle that, the, uh, the strength difference as well, or, you know, if she'll be as dominant from on top. But I do think that she should be the better fighter in this in this situation. I am not high at all on Luana Carolina. So I'm interested to see how far down this line actually closes or how far it dips. And uh, yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind throwing Lupita into a couple parlays as well because I think she should absolutely cruise in this fight. Even though it's short notice, even though it's up a weight class, luckily enough for her, it's up against an opponent that I don't believe is that good at all, to be honest. So uh, yeah, I'm going to go Godinez here. I'm going to take her by decision. But uh, yeah, I'll be be eyeing this line throughout fight week because I definitely want to see if there's there's any opportunity that we can take advantage of a good line. And personally, I think it's already at a good line, but... Let's see where the public takes this line and, you know, takes into consideration the short notice, the upper weight class, all that type of stuff. Once they see the metrics as well, they'll be like, oh, you know, this this fight is completely outmatched. You know, why is she going up and fighting a girl like this? Well, once they step in the cage, we'll see exactly why, because I think the skill difference is, is massive in this fight. So I'm going Godinez. I'm going to take her by decision, and I might have a bet on her depending on how far down this line goes. Ramazan Amiv versus Danny Roberts. We got minus 255 on Amiv and plus 195, or sorry, plus 215 now is the return on Danny Roberts. Pretty binary fight to break down for you guys here. Ramazan Amiv, he needs to get those takedowns. Actually, 
I don't think he needs to because he stays pretty serviceable in the striking realm. He's very methodical, very disciplined in his striking. But I do think that for him to have tremendous success in this fight, uh, or at least you know not leave it out of the question here uh, when it comes it goes to the judges' scorecards, which it inevitably will go to, uh, he's going to have to land takedowns here because that's where he truly finds the most success in his fights. We saw his fight against Anthony Rocco Martin where he went 0 of 9 on takedowns, and we saw Anthony Martin do massive damage to that lead leg with that calf kick that he was able to implement and then obviously take home a decision victory in that fight that's the way to beat Ramazan Amif kick and stuff takedowns Danny Roberts could probably kick but I don't think he's going to be able to stuff takedowns I think he's just too far behind in terms of what Amif brings to the table in the grappling realm and I think that's what's going to shine in this fight against Ramazan or sorry with Ramazan and I've kind of been critical of Ramazan in the past where he's, you know, fought too close to the level of his competition. And, you know, even he's if he's a minus 500 favorite, he makes the fight a little bit too close and makes it a little bit too sweaty, especially if you're parlaying him at that wide line. Luckily for him here against... Uh, uh, um, Danny Roberts I think it. I don't think it will be that close I think he'll be able to drag this fight to the ground Roberts doesn't have much off of his back um, you know especially against a high level grappler here like Ameev and I don't think he's going to knock out Ameev either because you know I think that Ameev is quite durable he does have one knockout loss on his record which he quickly avenged in his next fight by choking out his opponent that actually knocked him out the fight before but since then we haven't seen Ameev dropped we haven't seen him in you know super bad positions or uh, a compromised positions even when his leg was absolutely butchered by Anthony Rocco Martin it seemed like he was completely there for the full 15 minutes Danny Roberts has some decent power in his shots good combinations as well obviously that's kind of his bread and butter is his striking but his chin has been a bit of an issue and I wouldn't be surprised if Amiv actually clips it and puts him down uh, but I do think that we'll see a safe pro approach here from Ramazan once again dragging this fight to the ground getting his jiu-jitsu going getting his top pressure going and you know what I I wouldn't mind seeing what a Ramazan Amiv by submission line is plus 400 for me by some I need a little bit more especially from a guy that we haven't seen a finish a fight in a long time so I'm gonna go Ramazan Amiv and I'll take him to win this fight by surprise decision Andrew Sanchez versus Bruno Silva we got minus 150 on Silva and plus 130 is return on Andrew Sanchez in this point so that this is kind of a similar fight or stylistic fight for Bruno Silva as he had in his UFC debut against Wellington Terman and the fact that we had a striker versus grappler grappler being Wellington Terman who had some decent success in terms of getting some jiu-jitsu going however he just could not keep it up and he did really struggle in terms of getting Bruno Silva to the ground you know some of those times it, it seemed like he just got the clinch position got the back of Bruno Silva and then started going to work from there rather than actually completing a conventional takedown now Bruno Silva was able to survive that grapple heavy approach from Terman and then find himself on top and deliver brutal ground and pound which was able to put out Wellington Terman pretty quickly I have much more confidence that Andrew Sanchez will be able to land takedowns here against Bruno Silva get him to the ground and really grind him out and wear on him we've seen in the past where Bruno Silva has been able to go through a hard grueling three four rounds uh, of fighting against tough Russians in the past and actually put him out late as well so I do think he will have that transferable power from round one to round three no matter what kind of approach Andrew Sanchez is going to be bringing to the table here however it, it seems that you know Andrew Sanchez his his knockouts come from not from him being chinny but more so him having you know bad cardio and bad output um or sorry bad bad 
bad cardio, bad casting. I guess I can just label it as simple as that. Um, but I do think that the amount of success you'll have in this fight in terms of grapple fucking Bruno Silva will allow him to at least have enough in the tank to go out there and be safe in that third round, whether it's pushing Bruno Silva up against the cage, landing takedowns, which I think he could, you know, I don't think that Bruno Silva's takedown defense is the greatest, which is what, which leads me to believe that Andrew Sanchez will likely have the most amount of success in this fight, especially when he goes for takedowns. We can't overlook the amount of power in Bruno Silva's hands either, though, because the guy can definitely crack. But I think that we'll see Andrew Sanchez eat some of those strikes. It's just going to come down to round three, whether, you know, that will be uh, the round that Sanchez slows down again or not. So I think the best way to approach this fight is maybe taking Andrew Sanchez by decision. Even his money line is not too bad at plus 130. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think that's a decent line as well. But even taking him to win by decision at plus 280 is not too bad. And then there's the best hedge possible. Bruno Silva round three, which is currently sitting at plus 1,000. I mean, I think that's a damn good hedge spot because that's probably the best way uh, Bruno Silva wins this fight. Sure, he could probably finish him earlier, but in terms of getting the most value out of it, and especially if you're on the Andrew Sanchez side like I am, I think he will have the success, the grappling success in the first two rounds to nullify any of the uh, the, the heavy strikes that are going to be coming his way from Bruno Silva in those first 10 minutes. But in that third round, it's going to get a little bit sketchy until Andrew Sanchez lands another takedown, which hopefully he will be able to do so. Speaking of Andrew Sanchez, obviously he's done a lot of work up there in Montreal at TriStar with Faraz Sahabi, where he's really found a newfound interest and confidence in the striking, which led to him knocking out Wellington Terman the way that he did a couple fights ago. However, in his next fight against Mahmoud Muradov, he just was not as successful in terms of landing takedowns in that fight, and then his striking was just too far behind the level of skill and expertise that Muradov brought to the table that night, and then obviously we saw him get knocked out in the third round of that fight. Now he's changed can camps once again he's actually over there at aka and that leads me to believe that he's resting his butt off knowing that he's going to have tremendous success if he's able to get this fight to the ground hopefully they're able to work on his cardio issues a little bit allow him to you know breathe a little bit better have a little bit more gas in the tank especially if this fight reaches reaches round three I just have that confidence in El Derte. You know I mean, if if you guys were around for a while, especially after Andrew Sanchez came off the Ultimate Fighter, you know it was very difficult to get this guy at anything better than minus two hundred, minus two fifty, because a lot of people expected him to have a tremendous amount of potential. But it's just been the cardio that's been the bane of his UFC career at this point in time. But hopefully he can turn that around. Uh, but I think stylistically speaking, that this is a great fight for him as long as he can stay conscious in that third round. That's my only hesitation. So yeah, if I am betting Sanchez, I'd hedge round three there at that plus 1,000 mark. But I think it's a damn good shot that we see Sanchez go out there and grind this fight out over 15 minutes. Uh, and again, newfound confidence in his striking should allow him to kind of stay serviceable enough. It's literally just that gas tank. And at plus money, I'm willing to take the better gra uh, grappler here who has, you know, uh, a very good chance of grounding this fight over and over again and then leaving it up to to a little bit of an assumption in that third round that he should be able to survive it i'm going with the with the underdog here so i'm going andrew sanchez and i'm going to take him to win this fight via decision jordan wright versus julian marquez we got minus 235 on marquez and plus 195 on jordan wright now this seems like a pretty binary fight to break down right both guys heavy strikers want to go out there and try to knock their opponents out but i think that the durability is where it's going to come down to and we know that julian marquez has that in droves never been knocked down in the ufc never been knocked out as well and he's able to take a ton of damage and move forward and throw his own damage and he throws a you know 
some pretty good power in his strikes as well, which leads me to believe that Jordan Wright is not going to be able to deal with the power that's going to be coming his way from Julian Marquez. Now, Jordan Wright is probably the better technical striker here, you know, led by Anthony Hardonk, really instilling his style into Jordan Wright. But Jordan Wright is super explosive, very athletic and very powerful, which is why he's been able to accrue as many knockouts on his record as he has. You know, we used to call him the can crusher during his, uh, you know, his his time coming onto the contender series where he got starched by Anthony Hernandez. Uh, but, you know, he's he's gone through some trials and tribulations in, uh, since then, but still finds himself in the UFC and still producing some solid knockouts that have allowed him to kind of keep his spot on the roster. But I find it very difficult that he's going to be able to deal with the power that's coming his way from Marquez and let alone try to crack that chin of Marquez and get a knockout victory of his own. I like Marquez a lot here. I think he knocks him out. And the spot that I was kind of intrigued by this whole week, and now that we finally have full props out, uh, was the fight to not start round or date. I don't even know if they have that up yet. <clears throat> yeah, they don't even have it up yet. God damn it. I guess they're still working on it. Oh, let me just hit the refresh here. Maybe they have just put it up. Because as I started recording these breakdowns, they... Uh, they started releasing full props. Yeah, they don't have the fight. So the one that I was eyeing was fight won't start round two. Like, I think we're going to see a ton of chaos in this first round. A lot of it with the belief from Marquez that he should be able to move forward, eat the damage that's coming his way, but still go out there and put out uh, Jordan Wright, uh, you know, going through the fire and all that. So the under one and a half sticks is around minus 125, which leads me to believe that the, you know, doesn't start round two would be around like plus 120, plus 130 or something like that. And I wouldn't mind that, man. I, I think, you know, within five minutes, one of these guys is going to get a finish. Uh, Julian Marquez by knock is currently sitting at plus 250 i think that's a great line uh, marquez to win in round one plus 200 as well that makes absolute sense to me tko in round one this is a um a prop available on best uh, uh sorry on bet online sitting at plus 550 for marquez so that's not too bad either but yeah i think this is high violence uh, and it should end within five minutes or so. So I am going to go on the Marquez, the Cuban Missile Crisis aside. I do think that he deals with the power of Jordan Wright, eventually finds that chin and puts him down and out. So I'm going to go Julian Marquez, first round knockout. Menon Fioro going up against Myra Bueno Silva. We got minus 220 on Fioro and plus 180 on Bueno Silva. Now, this is one of those fights where I felt like I was going to take the underdog shot on Bueno Silva once I saw this fight announced, knowing that Bueno Silva was going to be the underdog. However, after running the tape, I am just not as confident anymore. You know, I, I, I truly expected that she'd be able to go out there, get the takedown and, you know, lock up a quick submission here. However, in Bueno Silva's UFC entire career, she shot for zero takedowns. That includes her the fight over there on the contender series, but never shot a takedown. Hasn't even shown the, you know, desire to shoot a takedown. Uh, so that is a little bit of a concern. She is very trusting of her Muay Thai. She has good leg kicks, you know, decent durability as well in terms of moving forward, taking shots and dishing out her own damage. Uh, but whenever she does have submission victories, which she's had a couple of in the UFC, it's more, than, more often than not her opponent taking her down and her locking up a submission off of her back. Uh, Firo, that's kind of the, the question mark that we have here, right? We've seen a bit of her ground game on the regional scene, but the level of competition, very sketchy. Not to mention her first ever loss was her first fight against Leah McCord, who's obviously doing her thing over there in Bellator. Uh, but, you know, and even in that fight, you know, she was showing decent get-ups, doing decent damage on the feet, but continuously got taken down. And that's ultimately what the judges were scoring. And they ended up giving that fight to Leah McCord. But 
you gotta believe that she's been improving her game, working, you know, to uh, working to nullify any type of damage that her opponents are able to get off of her, uh, uh, you know, while they're on top. Uh, but until we see it inside the cage, I can't put that minus two twenty out there, uh, especially with the giant question mark on whether Myra Bueno Silva is going to be looking to get the grappling going or not. Is she going to be content to just go out there and have a kickboxing match with, in my opinion, a superior kickboxer? You know, I think that Menon Firo throws a lot of heat in her strikes. I think she moves very well, good footwork, um, you know, great combinations, uh, good fight IQ in terms of setting up strikes and setting up punches, setting up head kicks. She does a very good job in doing that. Whereas Mara Bueno Silva, that doesn't seem to be much of a method to her madness. It's kind of just go for it. I'm going to try to hit you with the hardest strike that I can. And she throws decent combinations as well. She throws good leg kicks as well, which I think is kind of the highlight of her game. But I think for her to have success in this fight or even find uh, get her hand raised, she's going to have to get this fight to the ground. And without seeing either woman either defend a takedown on the Firo side of things, at least defend a takedown on a high level. And then um, on the other side with Bueno Silva, we don't know what a wrestling game looks like, you know, she could either be fucking Khabib or she could be nobody at all. You know what I mean? Mabeli Lima from a contender series uh, who went 0-5 on takedowns on Luana Carolina, who we talked about earlier on this uh, on this podcast. But I do like uh, Firo in this spot. I don't like her at the high line that she's currently at. I might throw her in a couple of parlays here and there, uh, but I'm going to very much minimize the amount of exposure I have to, on her just in case Bueno Silva does have a really good wrestling game. And then obviously we know that she has a decent enough jiu-jitsu game uh, and she could put Firo in trouble. So for me, this is more of a, let's see what Firo uh, or how Firo deals with a fighter like Bueno Silva before we continue to back her at these heavy chalk prices moving forward. With that said, I'm going to go with Firo. I'm going to take her to win by decision. And uh, yeah, let's just let's just sit back. Let's watch this fight and see what she brings to the table. Eric Gonzalez versus Jim Miller. Jim Miller obviously is super veteran in the UFC at this point in time. Coming in at minus 210, the return on the UFC newcomer Eric Gonzalez is plus 175. Now, Gonzalez spent the majority of his time, uh, at least the mo most of his recent fights, over there at Combate Americas where he took on a couple UFC veterans, Humberto Bandanay and Rafa Garcia, and came up short against both of them via decision. Uh, seems like a very lengthy, wild man with his striking, right? Uh, very tall, very lanky, like I said, for this 150 pound division and really likes to just chuck wild bombs from the outside seems like i said wild is the the key word here when you're talking about a guy like eric gonzalez and he does put himself into trouble at times that i think that jim miller will be able to take advantage of most notably seems like he sticks his neck out there a little bit more than you should be especially against guys that are able to snatch your neck up if he doesn't change that here jim miller will definitely find that neck and be able to take it home However, I can't at this point in time uh, logically tell you guys to go out there and back Jim Miller at minus 210 or minus 200 as, you know, he's 38 years old at this point in time, uh, obviously on a bit of a decline. And a lot of his success is front loaded in, in, in the fact that, uh, you know, I think he only has about a round and a half or so to truly find a finish or at least do some good work uh, to be able to find a victory. Right. Could he grind out Eric Gonzalez for two rounds? I, I think that if it does, 
does get to the ground here if he eventually finds a submission but he could bang two rounds here but that third round is going to get super sketchy as Eric Gonzalez will more than likely come out with like a bat out of hell and look for a finish of his own so that he can kind of nullify the first two rounds where he you know more than likely ended up losing them the spot that actually catches my eye here is the under two and a half which is around plus 150 you give me plus money on a fight that I expect to be chaos and not to mention Jim Miller does slow down later in fights and I do think that Eric Gonzalez has the power and the uh the the, the striking you know albeit a little bit wide and loopy at times to find that chin of Jim Miller put him down and possibly get a finish in this fight but I don't want to discredit Jim Miller's striking either the guy has some good striking of his own uh and more so he has great power in his hands and I think that could definitely help him here especially if he's able to counter the wide winging hooks of Eric Gonzalez uh get Eric Gonzalez to shoot a desperate takedown which is something that I've seen him kind of react uh you know uh instinctually whenever he gets hit and likes to go for a takedown and that's probably going to go right into Jim Miller's game plan which is snatch up that net bring it on home and take home another submission victory uh Eric Gonzalez funny enough he was actually supposed to headline I believe one of the local cards up here in Toronto uh against one of our home guys or hometown guys unfortunately uh you know the UFC gives him the call and he steps into the UFC and now the our hometown guy is without an opponent but hopefully they're able to put something together for him in the next month or so since that event is near the end of November uh but in regards to Eric Gonzalez here I'm not sure how far he's going to make it in the UFC to be honest he might be able to pull off the upside here considering the you know the 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 decline of Jim Miller that we've been seeing as of late um but I don't think he's going to rack up more than two victories inside the UFC I'd be surprised if he gets more than two victories inside the UFC just being honest so uh, I am going to go with Jim Miller here I do think he racks up uh, wraps up the neck early here um you know takedown defense on Eric Gonzalez is very sketchy as well so I don't I wouldn't be surprised to see Jim Miller just bull rush him try to drag this fight to the mat and then look for a submission of his own so I'm going to go Jim Miller via first round submission Andre Arlovsky versus Carlos Felipe. We got minus 105 for Arlovsky and minus 115 for Carlos Felipe. Pretty much a pick em fight. No real heavy action on either side yet. And this is a Tuesday of fight week. Uh, but it doesn't seem like the, the public has really set on one side. It seems like there's money coming in on both sides. And it makes absolute sense, right? Pre-fight, this fight seems like a coin flip. Hence why the odds are as close as they are. But the thing that I like the most here is the over 2.5 at minus 180-ish. I know it's a little bit chalky, but if I'm playing anything, in this fight that's the only one that I really have any confidence with you know it's funny that Arlovsky's perception has really changed in terms of you know he used to be super chinny and everybody would be betting the unders or betting his opponent by knockout but you know there haven't really been many people that have been knocking him out recently right he's had tremendous opportunities to go up against like uh, other heavy hitters and uh, and these guys just come up short they don't end up finishing him chase sherman you know the, the just in his last fight alone he had a lot of good shots in that fight was but was still chugging forward and still showing off good uh durability and good footwork and good good striking right he showed off that classic arlovsky uh striking style which has allowed him to have the longevity that he's had in the heavyweight division uh, I think the last guy to knock him out was Jerzinho Rosenstrike, but again, right, like he's probably top two, top three heavyweight punchers in the in the UFC, so you can't really knock him for that. And do you really expect a guy like Carlos Felipe to go out there and do that to him? Probably not, right? Carlos Felipe was dusting guys in the regional scenes, but we all know once it gets to the UFC and the big show, it gets a lot harder to put guys away, which is why he's yet to get a finish inside the UFC. Um, 
I'm not really impressed with him either, right? Like he kind of bull rushes forward, throws big shots. It seems more like a, you know, a dick swinging contest to him more than anything. Like he wants to throw down pretty much. There's never really any intrigue to go for takedowns or try to implement a, a strategic game plan of any sort. It's more sort of just go out there and try to beat beat his opponent up. And, you know, in his last fight against Jay Collier, he lost that first round, came back pretty well in that second round. And then in the third round, I thought it was pretty much 50-50 there. It could have gone either way, but they did end up giving it to Carlos Philippe. However, it did seem like Jay Collier was starting to slow down later in that fight, whereas Andre Olovsky seems to have solid cardio for 15 minutes. So I do think he's going to be able to throw out that damage and that uh, and the volume for the full 15 minutes here against a guy like Carlos Philippe, who... You know, th- this could turn into a human punching bag type of thing for uh, for Andre Arlovsky if he's really in his zone and is able to put these combinations together pretty well. Um, like I said, coin flip type of a fight. I am ultimately on the Arlovsky side as I do think his expertise, his uh, you know, level of experience, his veterancy, uh, his output, his ability to go out there and put on decent performances uh, will be enough to beat a guy like Carlos Philippe who just, you know, he's barely beaten the guys that he's beaten. Right, the Justin Toffa fight. I thought that was a bad decision. The the Jake Collier fight could have gone either way. Now you got Arlovsky out there who's like running circles around some of these guys that are on the come up here and he's doing good work, you know, like landing a lot of strikes and, and showing good volume, good output. And I think that's all it's gonna take to beat a guy like Carlos Philippe. But again, Carlos could do the same thing. Like this could be a thing where the strikes are separated by five five give or ten, five, ten strikes uh, between either guy, and it's gonna go to whoever throws the, the more strikes here. The spot that I that I said that I do like is over two and a half round minus one eighty. I do think that this turns into a bit of a sparring match, and we see this go to the full fifteen minutes. So uh, my my official prediction is going to be Andre Arlovsky, but uh, if I'm advising any bet on this fight, it's more than likely the over two and a half. Time for the main event. We got Aspen Lad going up against Norma Dumont, and we got minus one forty ish for Aspen Lad plus one twenty ish is the return on one Norma Dumont. Now, most of you will remember that Holly Holm stepped in, or sorry, got injured and instepped Aspen Ladd to save this fight uh, and allow Norma Dumont to still go out there and compete. Now, more most of you will remember that Aspen Ladd last time around, two weeks ago, I believe, was supposed to fight Macy Casson at 135 pounds. However, she missed weight, blaming it on her menstrual cycles. And luckily for her, the UFC called her back and said, hey, you want to do us a solid? Step in at 145 pounds and see how you do, especially against a decent fighter in Norma Dumont who had her own issues in terms of making 135 pounds. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, I'm very much looking forward to this fight to at least seeing what kind of, uh, you know, continuously getting more information available to us about Norma Dumont. I've had issues in the past in terms of betting or even capping her fights because we just didn't have enough data out there on her, at least in terms of fight footage, right? Before she came to the UFC, there's only one or two fights that I had access to, but, you know, very skeptical in terms of the level of competition and, uh, you know, who she was going up against and, and what she was showing us in those fights. But now that we're starting to build a little bit of a base and actually have some legitimate data and recent data on Norma Dumont, we're able to make a better uh, judgment or at least cap these fights a little bit better and I actually like her in this spot you know I know that Aspen Lattery game is very much predicated on dragging her opponents to the ground and trying to get some work do- done from on top with 
you know, the uh, the ground and pound or the submission attempts or just passing guard and just controlling on top. But she might have issues in terms of bringing down Norma Dumont, who will likely be the, the biggest opponent that uh, Aspen Ladd has faced to at this point in time. And I don't just mean big in terms of height, but like she's thick, right? She obviously has her own issues in terms of making 135 pounds. And you got to believe that, uh, you know, strength wise, she'll be able to either match or exceed what Aspen Ladd brings to the table in that uh, box. Um you know, Norma Dumont uh, seems like she's quite strong in those clinch situations. And a lot of Aspen Ladd's takedowns are coming from those body lock takedowns where she's, you know, clasping her hands, getting double on her hooks and muscling these women to the ground. I wonder how effective that's going to be against somebody that's potentially a lot stronger than her in this situation. And if she's not able to get the fight to the ground, is her striking going to be able to cut it? I don't think her striking will cut it, right? She looks like her striking is so flimsy and weird to me right it, it it doesn't really make sense in the sense that like she plots forward kind of hopping but like it seems like there's no method to that or at least no meaning as to why she's hopping the way that she is and then the way she throws her strikes yeah she's throwing them right down the middle but it seems like there's like nothing really on them like like she has this weird high tight guard and then just throws these shots but it's more so to just stay safe in the striking realm so that she could eventually get her grappling going again which is where she is most dominant in uh, most of her fights but I think that Norma Dumont will have the advantage in the striking realm especially with the power and I don't know how much uh you know aspen lad's going to be able to uh survive or even not even survive sorry find success in the striker realm if she's going to go out there and try to beat up normal dumont there a lot of uh fights for dumont especially in her last fight against felicia spencer she showed really good fight iq and ring iq in terms of whenever she was backed up to the warning track she threw a combination or she kind of countered whatever her opponent was doing and then she just pivoted off and uh, angled off and got back right into the center of the cage and pretty much rinsed and repeated the entire time so so that she stayed off the cage, stayed off the fence, and made it a lot harder for Felicia Spencer to actually get her down. Felicia couldn't even get her down up until the end, and even that, it was more of a botched takedown attempt from Norma Dumont that uh, Felicia was able to take advantage of, and then she rolled out the top position for a minute or so. Now, I didn't look the greatest for Dumont in terms of being off of her back. According to, you know, she's a, I believe she's a brown belt in, in jiu-jitsu. Uh, she has that in her back pocket, but she had to, for me, she had to at least show a little bit more urgency in terms of giving back to her feet i think there are a couple of things that were contributing to her just laying on her back though like uh you know she was already up two rounds she knew there was a minute left let me just stall here let me not put myself into any bad positions that felicia could potentially find a finish in and you know she survived and managed to see the final bell and get her hand raised that night but we're gonna have to see a little bit more from her especially if lad is able to get her down you know even earlier rounds and really do work from on top we've seen some good things from norman dumont in the jiu-jitsu scene as well so i gotta believe that she should be able to be competent enough on the ground to not get finished and not get you know or giving up dominant positions a lot of people want to look at the Megan Anderson knockout loss for Norma Dumont saying that, oh, she's shit for, you know, getting knocked out by a girl like Megan. But if you guys watched that fight back, like, I think that fight was stopped a little bit too early. Yeah, she got planted on her butt. But after that, you know, no follow-up shots. The referee immediately stopped it. I thought that Norma was still there. I thought she would be able to get back to her feet. But the referee ended up stopping it. So I'm putting an asterisk behind that uh, Megan Anderson fight. Now here again, lad, against Lad, she's not going to have to worry about that. I think she'll be able to effectively 
stop takedowns and land the better strikes on the feet my question mark is is she going to be able to do that for 25 minutes if she isn't able to get it out get her out of there uh with a knockout or, or submission of her own i'd be surprised if she actually finishes lad say what you want about lad you know outside of that jermaine randomly fight she's quite durable herself so uh, my official prediction is going to be normal dumont via decision i think she stuffs takedowns i wouldn't be surprised if she goes for her own takedowns um hopefully they're a little bit more effective than what she did against felicia spencer in the third round of their fight uh and then obviously in the striking room i think she's just going to have much more success and land the better and more damaging blows in the striking realm as well last thing i do want to say about norma dumont training over there at syndicate mma now right she's trying to really uh spread her wings and try to get the best coaching possible best training camp possible and i think you know you can do a lot worse than syndicate at this point in time uh not to mention she does have the ufc pi there for her in las vegas if she requires if she requires that as well so i think it was a great move for her to move over to uh, las vegas and and get uh, more training in and more looks in and i think we're going to see it come to fruition this weekend when she takes on aspen lad so my official prediction is going to be norma dumont via decision and that's a wrap on the breakdowns hope you guys enjoyed the episode if you guys haven't already make sure you guys hit that like hit that subscribe show your boys some love and if you want to go that extra mile make sure you guys check out the patreon five bucks a month again best value you're going to get on the market for sure once again shout out to coolbet coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks good luck on your bets this week i'll see you guys friday for the ultimate wayne show and then obviously fight day as well for the fight day live chat uh, yeah, good luck on your bets, and I always have trouble wrapping up these shows, but here you go. We're wrapping it up. Good luck on your bets this weekend.